Welcome to the Trailine Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Moglin. Each of these episodes will feature a top trader or investor, such as market wizards and U.S. investing champions. Make sure to listen carefully as they share their stories and techniques that have allowed them to master their particular styles. This podcast is sponsored by TraderLine University. Click the link in the description to learn more about exclusive experiences, such as the Swing Trading Masterclass, where you can learn directly from Oliver Kell, U.S. investing champion. In his masterclass, Oliver explains his method comprehensively and walks through specific examples of his traits. Also, be sure to check out the Leadership Blueprints course, which will level up your technical analysis abilities and teach you proprietary edges and techniques you can use to identify and manage true market leaders. And with that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Everyone, welcome back to the Trailline Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Moglin. I mean, today is Mark Ritchie II, uh, who, along with Mark Minervini, David Ryan, and Dan Zanger, was featured in Momentum Masters, and he's also the managing partner over at RTM Capital Management. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, and welcome. Richard, thanks for having me. Thanks to TraderLine. Looking forward to it. My pleasure. Our pleasure. And uh, to start things off, I, I love kind of hearing about peop- how people got interested in the stock market, first introduced to trading. And uh, I know that uh, your dad, of course, he was featured in Market Wizard as well. So I'd love to hear if he had a big influence on your trading style and methodology but just in general, how did you first get introduced to the markets and where did you get your start? Sure. So actually, I wouldn't say it was my dad in terms of trading, uh, ironically. Um, and, you know, for most intents and purposes, that style of trading, you know, in terms of the, the floor, yeah. uh, commodity trading in pits, yelling and screaming and, and the stuff you see in movies like Trading Places uh, was pretty much gone by the time I was really interested in it. Not entirely, but, yeah. you know, a lot of the action was electronic. I've never traded on the floor, uh, you know, visited there a number of times growing up, that kind of thing. And my dad was sort of functionally retired really by the time I was in middle school, high school. So, uh, but there was, uh, you know, a strong bent towards games of chance, probability, uh, math, that kind of stuff. Certainly, if if there's an area he's had the most influence on, it would be those types of things, you know, in terms of strategy and critical thinking. Um, my actual background, I guess, in terms of formalized tra- training uh, would be in philosophy. So I don't have a, I don't have an MBA. I don't have a finance degree. I've never taken a formal college class, you know, in, in any form of finance. So um, mine is more of, uh, I, I really just needed a job is the short story when I was a few years out of college and an old associate of my dad's basically hired me to kind of be a assistant, if you will, placing mm-hmm. trades, monitoring positions, that kind of thing. And, you know, I've told that story a time or two, but the, the short story is that ended horribly bad in terms of that whole operation was just sort of went up in flames. But during that, I kind of, that's where I got really interested in the markets. Yeah. So just, you know, I would use the phrase, you know, kind of caught the bug or got interested in realizing maybe there's a, maybe there is a game here for lack of a better word or a strategy game that I'm, I'm really interested in and just kind of becoming just fascinated with why, why do markets do what they do? Why do they go up and down? Uh, that type of thing. And then specifically 
is that can I find something that really works? That was more the sort of, sort of two two prongs at the way I was looking at the time, you know. Anybody that watches markets to some degree is always wondering, well, like, why did this thing, why did this thing rip today? Why did that thing tank today? What, yeah, what's really going on here? Um, and it could be anything, you know, for me it, in those days, it was more futures and options. I wasn't even trading equities at all, um, more derivatives, but I, just kind of getting that whole bug. And then, so there's that side of it. And then, you know, the other side being, is there a strategy to take, to take advantage of this? That's sort of repeatable, right. not, um, the, the shop, if you'll call it that I was kind of working in, it was really more of like a one two man prop operation was, you know, there didn't seem to be a lot of rhyme or reason, um, mm -hmm. at least in the way that approach was, was going. So I was just kind of interested in what's really going on. And then I, you know, developing some ideas that I really wanted to try. Mm -hmm. And so in really late 09, about beginning of 2010, I, I kind of, uh, just borrowed a little bit of capital and, um, said, let's give this a shot. So, that's, you know, that, that's, that's the rough cut story. I can, you know, I can provide more color if you want, or we yeah. can just go from how things evolve from there. Yeah, I, I'd love to hear kind of um, the key turning points. And obviously, I, I know you're influenced a lot by Mark Minervini, the Master Trader Program, I'm sure um, was a part of your journey. So I, I'd love to hear about kind of how you turned up the performance and really got to the methodology that you currently use today. Sure. Well, Mark was a major influence, of course. And even before that, though, and, mm -hmm. and this is one thing, you know, that somebody like Mark or a lot of guys uh, in Market Wizards would, you'd hear them say is the idea of doing more of what works, you know, in markets, which seems intuitively obvious. However, you'd be surprised how many people <laughs> like to continue to do things that don't work, you know what I mean? Yeah. Buying stocks on the 52-week low list or hanging on to losers and, and things like that. Um, so, you know in really it was a a process of trial and error originally mm -hmm. and i kind of started out with just some ideas that were really more purely quantitative mm -hmm. where it was for lack of a better word almost like systems that i'd sort of developed with uh, actually my brother at the time uh was, was sort of he was he was like the research guy he was the quant and i was going to do the executing and the portfolio managing and uh, very quickly, I realized that I just, it's not that I couldn't follow the rules, mm -hmm. but it was more the idea of feeling like the quantitative being purely quantitative was not for me. And what I mean by that is where you sort of just set some type of black box that says buy here, sell there, and, and right. just follow the rules. I had no problem following the rules, but the in sort of the discretionary intuitive side of me was just looking at markets. So when you set a model to just trade or how, whatever that looks like, whether it's automated or not, you just buy and sell when it tells you to do it. And there were, there were things outside of the model that I'm, I'm just watching markets going, <laughs> I think this looks like it wants to go higher and yeah, I want to buy it, you know? So it was actually my, uh, one of the pieces of advice my dad gave me was, look, you got a couple of strategies, give them all a risk budget within your portfolio, manage them each and see where, you know, sort of let, let the score 
settle the issue. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so to the point of then, then if it if it just treat them treat strategies like employees, you know, promote the ones that are are doing the heavy lifting and fire the ones uh, that show up late and do garbage work. And so at the end of my first year, um, I had two strategies that did over a hundred percent. Unfortunately, I had given them the least amount of capital at the beginning, mm-hmm. but it's not unfortunate when you, you realize very quickly, like if I have an edge yeah. and I can turn it over or, or I can continue to take advantage of it, eventually, if you put more and more capital that way, you're going to wind up uh, ahead, hopefully way ahead, uh, which mm-hmm. in, in my case was the case. So one of those happened to be, I was basically just doing some swing trading and mm-hmm. I buying breakouts for lack of a better word in, in equities. And around that time, I, I stumbled upon, uh, you know, Mark wasn't, uh, formally even, I, he was just kind of starting uh, to sell some research or, and do some education and that type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, to say like, hey, I I took like, you know, to his sort of style, like a duck to water would be a little bit of an oversimplification, but it made it made sense to me. Yeah. And I had no idea. Uh, originally, I think he was just putting a few ideas out like on stock twits. This was before Twitter. And he didn't have any books. And there was no master trader program or any of that kind of, you know, he hadn't really created, you know, his stuff is really more almost like a like a like a branded school. Uh, yeah. you know, sort of his methodology, which is based on, and if you read his first book, it's not like he invented this stuff out of thin air. He studied a lot of other we, guys like William Jiller and Edward Jensen and William O'Neill, yeah. and Richard Love, and, uh, you know, has just sort of taken this and from here and tried to, uh, really refine, make it, yeah. refine it. Yeah. To make yeah. it specific. And, you know, to me, the, the idea though, of low risk entries is really where I, I, I come down even more so than anything. That is to me has always made sense. If you have, I don't care what it is. If you have a strong opinion on anything, great. Just marry it to a low risk entry with a stop that tells you when you're right or wrong. And ideally then it's refining that, that piece of things. To me, the most powerful stuff is where you can say, okay, I have, I have, whether it's a stock, it could be, I, if I was teaching people how to trade markets, I don't even understand. I would, I would be saying the same thing. I would say, look, yeah. you need to figure out a low risk entry. Why? So that you know quickly whether you're right or wrong. So you can move on and quickly mm-hmm. take quick losses and turn the capital over or move the capital to where it's going to be more efficient. That's, I think what people don't understand, they don't want to take losses. And so they, they sit with positions that aren't working or, or let trades turn into losing trades, turn into investments, which is the worst thing you could do because they don't understand that this is a game of market efficiency, moving your capital to where it's going to be proved to be most efficient next, which is ideally stuff that you think is going to move in the direction you want it to move. And so finding those lower risk entry points uh, you know, is this a great way to do it? And that's something that marks the, you know, a master quote unquote at, at teaching. And so, yeah, at the end of, 
really a became a couple of years that just became one of the dominant uh, approaches for lack of a better word in my portfolio mm -hmm. and that would be it's on any time frame meaning so even if if you're going to make me trade one minute charts which i never trade i'd be looking for the you know i'd be looking for the <laughs> who knows maybe a tick wide uh, or a few pennies uh, in terms of a tight entry where if i'm trading on a weekly i'm still going to look for a tight entry on the weekly chart well right. everything being everything you know in relative symmetry to itself and this is where i think people have to define themselves even if i had to be a long-term investor i would be looking for what i consider low risk entry on sort of a longer term time horizon so if i'm not trading on on dailies or intradays you know maybe my stops are a little bit wider but they're going to be tight relative to the expected move i'm looking i'm looking to take advantage of perfect and just going back to what you said uh, with regards to systems where you're picking one, seeing whether it works well, if not move on to the next thing, that also seems to be pretty much your approach to positions also. If they're not working for you, get rid of them, try, try another low risk entry and see if that, that basically stock or equity is successful. Sure. I mean, that's, a, that's an over, a little bit of an oversimplification, but yeah. I think that's, exa that's exactly right. You know, the, yeah. the idea though of, um, I don't want to keep, anything in the portfolio that's not working on some level. So there are some <clears throat> positions over time. So, uh, you know, as, uh, as my account's grown and as I've sort of learned in terms of what are the characteristics of big winners or spotting them in real time, uh, where my timing's been good, there are times I try and play some positions out for bigger or longer term moves. Right. But the the entry points are are going to be the same. Mm -hmm. Where let's say there's a position I bought and I'm trying to give it some room to play it for a bigger move, I'm still going to be at a profit even if it's going sideways or potentially even pulling back and hasn't hit a stop yet. So I'm. I've still cushioned myself with gains in that position. The best, you know, the way I like to do it is, you know, ideally let's, let's say I, I buy a breakout and it works well and it's in a group that I understand and that I think is a sort of classic growth group with good, uh, good fundamentals. Then I'm going to try and finance that hold with a portion of the position. Mm -hmm. So I will sell part of the, the stock uh, and use that to lean on to try and play it for a bigger move. So even if then, and then obviously moving my, my risk control or stop up. Yeah. Uh, so even if it, it comes back, then I'm, I'm still net net at a positive outcome. Um, and trying again. So, so let's say, you know, I buy a stock at 50, it runs to 70 and I sell half or three quarters yeah. of the position. Well, that stock may pull back to 60, which would be normal. Um, and I might keep it in the portfolio, but I'm still up on it. I'm not just keeping it around because I like the fundamentals. You know, yeah. the mistake people people make is they buy a stock, it goes down and they go, well, I really like it. And then they keep it around. That's, you know, I'm never doing that. And when I say never, I mean, never. Yeah, perfect. And um Something that I don't think a lot of uh, a lot of traders don't fully grasp until maybe they even blown up an account is proper risk management. So could you talk a little bit about how you pair both position sizing and setting that initial stop loss and managing 
your stop loss uh, to kind of control your risk and make sure you're never uh, going to go into too much trouble just taking a normal stop loss hit? Sure. Um, well, look, this is this is the most important aspect in terms of uh, ensuring yourself that you're not going to get you know in huge trouble. And yeah. and look at. I don't want to say I've never known anyone who's blown themselves up using tight risk control, but I'm not aware of, I'm not aware of any traders that have taken the approach sort of that I would take where is to say, look, if I'm going to have a bad period, it is not going to be because I took one big loss. It's going to be yeah. because I took tons of small losses, meaning, and then coincidentally reducing my risk per trade as those losses um, are sort of piling up. So right. if I get, if I get hit on two, three trades in a row, I'm immediately going to be, be most yep. likely, yes, trading smaller on my next trade or two until I see things moving the other way. And look, lots of people talk about this and it feels intuitively obvious, at least to me, but I'm shocked how many people just don't do this. They go, well, I lost on two. I'll trade the third, the next one bigger. I mean, the market is either you're out of sync or the market's bad or both, or your right. strategy is no good, which is even worse. Um, you should be, you have to, you have to respond accordingly. Think of the market as your dancing partner. It's stepping mm -hmm. all over your feet right now. And <laughs> you know, you, you've got to, you've got to take a step back and go, we've got to get in sync here before, you know, we try any complex moves or, or, you know, in terms of what does that translate to bigger sizing, uh, aggressive trading. So uh, yeah, the way I handle it is look, the better things are going, the more aggressive I want to be. Whatever analogy you're, if you're a baseball guy, you know, you hear baseball players talking about, I'm seeing the ball. Well, if, you know, if you're a football player, it's, you know, it's like, I am, I know right where the defense is going to be before they're there. You know, it's like, everything is, you know, is clicking mm -hmm. the race car driver. It's like, he is coming out of the turn perfect and gassing it into the straightaway and he's riding the brake at the right time, you know? So all these analogies, uh, you know, are, are synchronous in, in some ways, but I want to be trading as aggressive as possible when things are, are working. And what I mean by that is it, it may be, it might not be that everything, uh, all my trades are working, but if all the timing is lining up, so mm -hmm. the fundamentals are really good and I really like the technical setup and I'm at or near equity highs in my account, I want to be trading aggressive. Um, if my last few trades are, you know, not showing much progress, I'm underwater, uh, or, or the market just isn't showing me what I need to see, then I'm going to take a much more conservative approach. And, you know, the other thing is that I think people don't appreciate is that trades are not evenly distributed. Uh, so if you're this, this gets a little into the math and mm -hmm. stats, but if you're a, somebody who I, I tend on average, I will lose more, more than I win, meaning I tend to be profitable about four times out of 10. Yeah. Uh, well, so people, people would just think that normally that means, you know, it, it works out close to even. I, I win, I lose, I win, win, lose, 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 win, lose. You know what I mean? That's not really how reality works. So that 40% distribution 
over a thousand looks very chunky at times. What I mean is you'll have periods where you might win 10 in a row and lose 15 in a row. I want to use that to my advantage. Mm -hmm. So where if I, if I go into any type of period where it feels like losses are starting to stack up, I want to, I want to crimp it off as quickly as possible. Uh, and part of this is the nature of, you know, if, if you're a swing trader like I am uh, or favor the long side, say in equities, you're going to have periods where the markets are just good and everything's yeah. kind of working as institutional capital is flowing into certain areas and you catch yeah. those low risk spots. Well, that's when you want to quickly, you know, sort of have a pulse on things. And, you know, I get the question a lot, like how scientific are you in terms of ramping up and, and ramping down? It's like, well, very scientific in the sense that I, I want to do it on the heels of success. So if I'm not, if I'm not making any money, uh, I'm not going to get more aggressive, but it's also a little bit of intuitive and artistic to say, uh, you know, am I seeing the picture I want to see and, and the traction I'm getting in my own positions to sort of step on the gas. And then just as quickly, if I get it wrong, I got to get right. I got to, I got to jockey back and forth sometimes to sort of get a uh, position properly. Um, I don't know if this is making sense, but, uh, oh, yeah, it is. Uh, you know, that's kind of the, the artistic side, but um, all this to say, look, you want to be trading as aggressive as possible when things are going well. And this is something I think any good manager, and you read about this in Livermore's writing, you know, Stanley Druckenmiller talks about this, Mark Minervini talks about this, uh, you know, lots of, uh, for lack of a better word, directional traders. If you're trading in the direction of the market, um, this is a commonality that I think a lot of the successful guys talk about. And that goes a little bit into discipline and, and also just being aware of your results. Uh, because as you mentioned, a lot of people like to revenge trade. They, they lost twice in a row. Oh, they need to make it all back right now. But instead, they should kind of listen to that market feedback, as you said, and recognize that their system, they're out of sync, all of that. And um, they need to step back, have their position size, and just wait it out until their performance improves. And then you can push a little bit more and, and, and try to get that alpha out of the market. Sure. And well, look revenge trading specifically. Why yeah. would anybody do that? Uh, well, it's an ego thing often, right. right? You know, I can get it right back. I can, you know, um, nobody, you know, I shouldn't say nobody. I, I don't mind taking losses. I don't particularly enjoy it. Uh, but it's a, it's a cost of doing business. I don't right. take it personally though. Mm -hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean, you know, at, at times, look, if you're going to be making new equity highs and continuing to try and grow your account, theoretically, your, your biggest drawdown is always ahead of you. Yeah. Well, you better, you better get comfortable with that. Um, you know, because that, that is just a, that's, that's another cost of, of doing business, you know, assuming that you're, you can continue to scale your edge. Now, you know, every, there's always liquidity and size uh, limitations, but my my point being, look, this is this is something that everybody has to deal with, and some guys, uh, you know, they get to a point where they their accounts they're comfortable at a certain size, and they just want to trade that size and kind of cream profits. I mm -hmm. think that's great. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, uh, and I know plenty of traders who do that. 
Uh, and then there are other guys who, you know, for whatever reason, feel like hey, they they, they want to continue to grow um, and continue to try and, you know, manage a larger sum of capital. Uh, in either in either respect, though, the whole um, emotional impact um, is theoretically going to it's going to creep its way in there either way. And I think, you know, removing your ego and, and not taking losses personally, you know, we can talk about that. There's always going to be that temptation, especially early on to, to let those things destabilize you emotionally. And I think yeah. that's the biggest thing. This is why I think it's important not to, not to even track dollars versus percentage points. You know, if you say I lost 2% for whatever reason, when guys go, I lost two grand, 200 grand, 2 million, you know, at some point <laughs> they start to think about all the things they could either buy or, yeah. or spend that money on, or, you know, it just, rather you go, well, I lost a couple, you know, I lost a few percentage points. Uh, it doesn't seem to have, you know, that emotional appeal. That's why I always encourage people, even in terms of tracking your trading, do it in terms of percentage points. Um, the other point I would make though, is, you know, if things aren't, aren't going well, like, like uh, Mark is a good, Mark Minervine is a good example. He often says, if you're having trouble in the market, there's one of two problems. Either the market for your strategy is not good. Uh, and it doesn't matter. This is something I tend to just believe almost philosophically, fundamentally about a market. No strategy works all the time. I don't care if you are a quant guy trading on, I don't know, you know, for little ticks, Versus somebody who is a, is a long-term trend follower, mean reversion guy, you know, doing stuff, you know, value growth, you know, you name it. Mm -hmm. Nothing is going to work all the time. If it did, that person would theoretically own the world. Um, there are going to be periods where certain strategies uh, underperform or don't work. And that's why they work because they don't work for a while. And that rinses out, uh, you know, certain players and sets up opportunities for other guys. Uh, and if you can make, if you can just keep your head above water, uh, and, you know, while your strategy isn't doing well, you're going to do great because you, you go up and then you go sideways and you go up. Well, the, the other, you know, issue is if, if things aren't going well, guys like Mark will say it's either the market is bad, meaning it, it's not in sync with your strategy or your strategy is bad. Yeah. Uh, I add a third element where I say, or you're bad meaning that you are not in sync with your strategy in the market. And this is not executing. Yeah. You're not executing for whatever reason. And it might be because you're actually not a good fit for the strategy itself. Right. Uh, you know, this is something obviously lots of people talk about. You got to find a strategy, you know, suited to your personality. Well, or you need to make some changes in terms of how you are thinking about the strategy. You need to work on your emotional control uh, or your preparedness so that you're ready to take advantage. This is why, you know, whether it's lack of focus, lack of discipline, uh, it's not the strategy, it's the operator. Uh, in some cases, that's the problem. You know, like I, I use the analogy sometimes, look, when the, the, third, the third baseman who commits an error and then looks at his glove, uh, it was, it wasn't the glove that committed yeah. the error. It was the guy holding it. And so you, all three got to be in sync, meaning I have to be in sync with, with the strategy and the strategy got to be in sync with the market, uh, in order for things to really be working. So that, that's, that's a question I often ask, like, okay, 
now I believe the strategy I'm doing, it works. Uh, I think our, my rec, our record and plenty of other people's record that are in similar type uh, lane on the highway to me has, has proven that that works. So then the, the question becomes, is, is the market, you know, not, is the market just bad or am I not operating the strategy correctly? So those are sort of the two places I go. And, um, hopefully it's, it's just the market's not in a good period, but, um, uh, you know, we can get it, we can get into, you know, what that looks like, but, uh, in, in terms of periods that are not optimal. And usually the way I, I determine that is because you're just, your things are not working. IE if you're a breakout trader and breakouts aren't working, that's all you need to know. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's excellent. And I wanted to ask you earlier, if you had any kind of book recommendations for new traders starting out, uh, that you think would really set people on the right path to defining a bunch of systems that have worked in the past um, and they can kind of find out what works best for them? Sure. Well, uh, boy, you know, for me, this was, I started with market wizards generally. Mm -hmm. uh, those, those were kind of like the, uh, the Bible, uh, if you will, in terms of just the gamut of, of success, different personalities, different strategies. Uh, you know, some of those market wizard interviews I probably read, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 times. Um, I, you know, those are great. Obviously anything by Mark Minervini is great. I think, you know, in, in, um, momentum masters, that was one of the questions. What are some of the books, you know, this, that was before I think Mark's second book even came out. That one's probably of his one. I like the best, I would say, uh, William O'Neill, obviously, you know, look, there's, there's a number of, of great books that, uh, you know, reminiscences, some of the classics. Um, and I, I, I'm sort of increasingly in the camp. I've read a lot of different trading books and gotten different things out of them. But like I was saying, even in terms of some of the market wizard stuff, I found it more valuable sometimes to go back to the good ones and reinforce those ideas, especially if you find yourself towards a certain Right. strategy. You know, look, if right. you're a value guy, uh, I got, I don't know anything really about value, but you should be reading Ben Graham or, you know, Joel Greenblatt or, you know, I, yeah. whoever the, you know, the guys that uh, have done incredible stuff in, in that, that lane, yeah. Uh, yeah. for lack of a better word, I have no idea, you know, what the, what the, who the quant guys read because I'm not a quant. Um, but, you know, yeah, I've found that uh, revisiting, some of the, you know, sort the of classics, the, yeah, the classics and, and hammering those into your head is, is better than looking for, I don't know, some other book, uh, written by somebody maybe that really hasn't even traded, uh, you know, at least that, that would be, that would be my view. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't, uh, you know, you can, you can look at what I recommend. I think in Momentum Masters, again, I recommended Mark's first book, um, uh, oh, I did recommend Pitbull, I think, by Marty Schwartz. Yeah, that one's kind yeah. of fun. Um, that was more entertaining, really, than you're not going to get a lot of strategy stuff out of it. And then, uh, yeah, for me, you know, the sort of the O'Neill, the Minervini, um, you know, type books. For sure. And uh, is there anything specifically related to mindset or trading psychology that you've really, that you've read and and really recommend and, and yeah, on that side of things, basically? Not necessarily. So um, I wouldn't say it was something that I read. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but there is sort of an interesting, so I didn't, I didn't put a lot of stock. This is more of an interesting story and anecdote than it is. Hey, read this and it'll help you. It'll help you in your trading psychology. But, uh, before, so, you know, Mark and I became friends later on, but I, you know, I could, he put on one of these like little contests or whatever early on. And I, I, I signed, sort of signed up for it, competed and was fortunate enough to win. Uh, but I didn't really know him. And he did a webinar where he was just talking about uh, this kind of topic in terms of, you know, your psychology, uh, you know, personality traits, your mental framework, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, let me tell you about uh, this guy, Mark Ritchie, who just, who just won this, you know, trading competition I put on. And I'm, I happened to be listening to the webinar and I was like, well, this should be interesting because this guy doesn't know me. <laughs> like we literally had shook hands one time and spent zero time together. So that seemed a little, a little off, you know, that somebody would say that. And I happened to be watching it with uh, my business partner or listening to it. And uh, so he said a couple things about me that I thought were, were spot on and kind of interesting, you know, this guy's really disciplined. Uh, he's non-emotional. He doesn't, he doesn't worry or panic. And, you know, just a couple of things And he might even said one, you know, something even, you know, more specific. And I was just like, to the point where the, the other guy in the room was like, how in the world does he know that, you know, it was almost right. like a little bit of an eerie feeling of somebody saying something about you that like <laughs> literally spent no time with you. And then so a number of months later, I happened to be in his office. And so I asked him about it. And he said, look, the I've seen your trading. I looked at your buys and sells. That's all I needed to know. Mm-hmm. That this is a reflection of your personality. So you show me somebody's trading and I can tell you what kind of person they are. And that was just like a realization in some sense that we're all bringing who we are to the table in this game, for lack of a better word. And you notice this if you track your own trades, because what you see is we have tendencies. You hear about this, anybody that's ever done this exercise will go, I have a tendency to hold my losses too long, to cut my winners too short, to, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, to second guess myself and get out of things when I shouldn't. Well, those are all uh, those are all function of personality, uh, and there are going to be things inevitably that we do better than others. Uh, so that it, it really is true that trading becomes um, an expression of who we are, uh, which is why, you know, in some ways it is a this is the ultimate game or sort of bet on yourself. Yeah. Uh, and where you have to make some, uh, you have to identify what your strengths and weaknesses are and then make some adjustments accordingly. So it wasn't, it wasn't the discipline of necessarily reading anything, but more of just going through sort of like a real time discourse with someone who is a lot more experienced and saying, look, uh, if you don't think that, you know, your trading is a reflection of your personal psychology and, the way you're viewing things and, you know, your personal discipline and so on, then you're kind of fooling yourself. 
So I think there were certain things I, I had in some ways, maybe a, I don't want to say a natural um, ability to do, but like, you know, t- taking losses, for example, has never been yeah. an issue for me. I don't know why I can't, ex- I couldn't sit there and explain to you why I don't have a problem taking losses. It's just something I just, you know, I don't get wrapped up emotionally in it. Right. Um, where other, other people do. Um, so it, it, yeah, that was, that was more of like, it just sort of like opened a door to say, oh, interesting, mm-hmm. uh, that, that these markets really are a reflection of sort of even collective psychology. This is why, why, why do, why, why do markets sell off a lot faster than they rally? Because everybody tends to, to panic right. in a similar way. You know, nobody, um, nobody at new highs screams, oh my gosh, you have to get me out right now. If anything, they just kind of hang around. It's once they start losing, you know, that people do things that are ir- irrational, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it, if anything, just it, it, it almost uh, just illuminated like what ultimately drives buyers and sellers, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in sort of in real time, uh, if you will. And, and then give me a greater appreciation, I think, for potentially how to, you know, how to coach or help people as well, because often that, that is people's hangups is they've got, um, you know, a lack of confidence, uh, in their analysis or the inability to stick, uh, with their plan, right? They put the plan together. It's a good plan, but they can't follow it. You know, uh, that isn't something that's resonated with me personally, but those are the type of things people have to work through, if they're, if they're ever going to have a chance at really being successful. Perfect. And could you tell us a little bit about uh, how you personally like go ahead and, and study your own trades and do post-trade analysis? Because I, I think people often hear that you got to study yourself and find your um, strengths and weaknesses and try to double down your strengths and try to minimize the weaknesses, but they're not quite sure about how to actually go about it and study themselves. So I don't know if you, if you're willing to share your process or just kind of give some guidelines um, on general post-trade analysis. Well, it's, I think one, you got to track everything. That would be the first thing. I just look, do the work. Uh, Some people don't like uh, doing this. Listen, if, if you're crushing it in the market, and I know some guys who've been doing this long enough that they don't track stuff anymore because it's almost just like, it's second nature. You it's know? ingrained, yeah. It, yeah, it's just ingrained. I'm not there uh, personally. Um, and I want to see tendencies even with, within our own trading or what what has been working in the market, say, expressed by our own trades. Yeah. But if you're new, uh, you've just got to track everything. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then look for those patterns within your own trading. So there's nothing there's nothing fancy. I, we, I just use Excel and then I'll, I'll put a few notes in there. I think it's best sometimes to look at them maybe a little bit removed, yeah. say a few months or something like that, where you can go back and go, well, why did I buy this? <laughs> why did I take profits here? You know, or, and that's where putting in the notes, why you did something, because sometimes you can, it, look, it's always, you want to be as non-subjective as possible when it comes to uh, grading your trades. You can always nitpick yourself. That's not the goal. The goal is to say, okay, was this a good buy or sell if you're shorting or whatever? And this is true. I don't care if you're a discretionary trader. I don't care what your um, your go-to 
strategy is I would say the exact same thing to somebody who's doing something completely different. This, this just has to be a part of your process to say, okay, why did I buy this here? Does, did this fit with my plan? Did I follow my plan? Um, and then looking, you know, back, um, rather than to say, well, did I sell the high or did, you know, did I maximize the profit? No. Did I, again, did I follow the plan? Did I take profits at maybe a multiple of my risk if that was my goal? Um, and, but looking for, I think some people tend to even trade certain, a certain style better. Some guys like to buy breakouts to new highs. Some guys like to buy pullbacks. Some guys do well at both. Uh, some may find, and this is where, you know, I, in tracking my own trades found that, well, within certain types of setups, I may want to look to go for a bigger move because I'm mm -hmm. consistently selling these too early. Uh, well, if I'm labeling all that and tracking it, I'm not just making it up. Uh, right. this, is, this is borne out by the data. And one of the reasons now, so a good example would be early on, I was exclusively a trader. Meaning I got a two to one. I almost just, I just sold it, just kick it out, turn the edge over, move on. And, and if that's the best way, in my opinion, to grow a small account is compounding small gains. Uh, if you can count, if you can, if you got a coin flip and it's 50, 50, two, two times, you know, you win on a heads, you lose one on tails. To me, it's just a game then of how many times can I flip the coin? Right. The more I flip the coin, the more I can turn the edge over, you know, you know, use whatever analogy you want guys on, on blackjack. It's, you know, if they think they got an edge, they're trying to play as many hands as humanly possible. Right. Um, well, that was my, that was the game I played for a number of years. Then after studying multiple years of just trades, I went back through and looked at every above average game trade I had and studied them to see what they had in common. And I found that a majority of them were in the classic type growth groups that guys like Minervini and O'Neill had been writing about for years. So I, I didn't make it up. It was like, wow, I did better in tech than I did in commodities. Right. Even though they had the same, maybe they had the same technical setups, these not, I did better even trading, but then I also noticed that when I sold them, they consistently went higher over, over the next, say, you know, weeks to months. So that told me, all right, if I catch one of these properly, uh, I'm going to potentially look to hold portions of those positions for bigger moves. So you sort of become a, a little bit of a trader and an investor. Right. Um, and, you know, at opportune times, I'm not looking to be an investor at a late cycle in a bull market, right. but certainly towards the beginning. And, and you know, that, that's how you, you continue to evolve and then hopefully uh, able to continue to scale up your operation. At least that's how I've done it. But that really, that was sort of a powerful aha to say, right. okay, if I see these criteria um, and I time it right, I'm going to potentially look to hold a portion of this position for longer than just a trade where normally, you know, to me, a trade is I'm at a multiple of my risk. I'm taking the profits. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. That that's really cool to hear. And do you, are you, are you someone who prints out your charts and kind of marks up the buys and sells or do you do it all electronically? I haven't prior. And this is something actually, 
I always just, we just put it in Excel. Well, yeah. so what I noticed, uh, <clears throat> probably say after seven, eight, nine years, I was going back through and I would bring, I'd bring up an old symbol and it's not there anymore. You know, right, right. Stock is it doesn't exist because uh, it either it maybe got bought out, maybe most likely went out of business. Yeah. And so, yeah, I started in the last year or two to say, okay, uh, some of our better charts and trades and examples to to print those out. Uh, that's something you know I've done newer. I, I've always tracked them in Excel, but now yes, taking some screenshots or sort of creating your own your own chart books of your own yeah. trades. Yeah. Uh, that's something in the last, uh, really, last year or two that I've been doing sort of uh, on an annual basis. Perfect. And my favorite thing to actually ask uh, the traders who I interview is um, basically ask them about their daily and weekend routines. Um, because I think that that illuminates a lot about the discipline and, and the consistency you need to set yourself up for success week after week, day after day. So I love to hear about first kind of your weekend routine, how do you identify your, your focus list for the next week? And then also later on how you execute on the daily. Sure. So weekend, usually for me, I tend to do a lot of that. Uh, I used to do it on Saturday or Sunday, you know, evenings, whenever I had time, normally I'll do it on, uh, on sort of Friday a Friday afternoon evening. Uh, it just depends. You know, I'll do a little bit more work on the weekends, uh, running a few more screens. Mm -hmm. Um, but the normal daily routine for me is, uh, I mean, I, I tend to do, I start, you know, hour and a half before, uh, the trading day or before the opening bell. Yeah. Um, and then I usually, uh, you know, I quit, uh, I, I tend to quit, you know, a little after the close and then, go over all my lists and screens kind of pre-market. Uh, so I've got the, if for lack of a better word, like I never go into the day having no idea what I'm buying. That's crazy. Right. Uh, and I'm sure that's a commonality. I, I've never heard of anybody who does that, that that's, you gotta have, you have to have a, a playbook or a battle plan, however you want to think about it. Right. Uh, so yeah, normally my day, I get up usually half an hour to an hour before I would start work. Um, and spend some personal quiet time. And then I start my day around seven central, spend about an hour and a half going over all of um, anything. I think, you know, we're always running what I call like a primary and a secondary watch list. Secondary watch list is anything that I think is maybe close to buyable. Right. And that's based off our screens. So think of it in terms of I've got, uh, I sort of got the, the, cart before the horse there, but I've got, you know, a number of screens that I run that, um, are anywhere from say three to 700 names mm -hmm. that I run every single day, call that down to a secondary watch list of anywhere from 50 to maybe a hundred names or 150 names as much. Uh, and then off that, uh, I'm looking to form like a primary watch list that that's stuff that alarms are being set on that I want to watch in real time if they're moving through certain prices, uh, and that are potentially actionable. And then, so I, cause I have a co-portfolio manager, we go through mm -hmm. the same process separately. And then it's sort of like, okay, what are we seeing on the primary watch list for today? Usually it's, we got 90% of the same stuff. Um, you know, he may have one or two, I don't, or vice versa. And then we set the alarms uh, and then go over potential. Uh, what are our total exposures? What's the total risk we're carrying? What do we potentially want to add or 
you know, where do we want to reduce things either, either into strength or weakness if things uh, aren't acting well. And that's something we do intraday as well. So let's say we've got, you know, we're, we're really long. We're, we've always got sort of calculated uh, points in terms of sort of uh, in each name and, and even kind of on the overall portfolio to say, hey, uh, where are we going to start reducing risk here? Because um, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make too is they, they potentially get themselves invested properly, but then, <laughs> then the market puts them, they allow the market to put them under too much pressure. Or then they're right. surprised when everything hits their stops and they go, wow. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to take that big of a drawdown. It's like, well, you had to account for, you need to account for the worst case scenario. Well, the worst case scenario of your long five stocks is everything, everything stop gets hit over the next one to two days, or maybe today, how much yeah. risk are you carrying? So we run those numbers. We may not run that at any, we may not run that every single day, but we at least have an idea in our heads of where that's at. Or I'll, I'll say to Brandon, my co-portfolio manager, where, where are we at? Everything just stops. Meaning like how much are we carrying right now? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's pretty much it uh, in terms of there, there are sometimes we'll run some, some screens intraday as well, but normally the, the, the plan is kind of set for the day. We know what we're going to be looking at. There may be some names, but let's say they're positions we own and they're acting well. Uh, we may look to add to those, but even that generally is probably already on our radar before the day starts. It's pretty rare that there's, I mean, you just nothing comes out of left field, Richard, to just go, yeah. oh yeah, I'm going to buy this now. You know what I mean? Right. That's just not how we do anything. Um, so yeah, it, it's taking, it's taking a wide universe and slowly calling it down, uh, to what we think is going to be tradable. And then the other point I would make though is sometimes we do the work and there's just, there's nothing. Right. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, in fact, I would rather do nothing a lot of the time if it means that when I am doing something, I'm potentially really making a lot. Uh, right. I would love to make our return for the year in a few weeks. Right. And just sit the rest of the time, be out of harm's way and bide time. And that's something, I mean, that's something that I think is very tough for, for a lot of people to do, especially, especially nowadays. I think yeah. because of Twitter and, uh, you know, and um, the financialization of trading and every, you know, everybody's just FOMOing all about like this thing and that thing or whatever, you hear hardly anybody talking about, hey, why don't you just take it easy and do nothing uh, and wait uh, for that opportune opportunity or that fat pitch or however you want to think about it versus feeling like you've got to trade, you know, every wiggle and every tick. Right. And I've uh, a lot of the traders who I've talked to, they, they kind of say there's really two to three golden periods throughout a year where the easy money, the big money is made often coming off the back of corrections. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on that? And, and a lot of the other times you're just kind of chopping yourself up and not making a lot of progress for a lot of effort. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I think that quote comes from Jeff, Jesse Livermore said it, yeah. you know, what, a hundred years ago or something like that. I think he even said, yeah, you, you know, <clears throat> the market's healthy two to three times a year, yeah. uh, exposure capital in those times, uh, play defense, the rest. I think, uh, you know, most, uh, like Peter Brandt talks about the, the, the Pareto principle, the idea that like 80% of your profits comes from 20% of your trades. 
however you want to think about it, most discretionary traders are going to fall into that kind of a bucket at the end of the day. So yeah, I would agree completely. Uh, and that's just something, again, people are going to have to adjust themselves, uh, you know, to sort of psychologically like trading, you know, unless you're some type of a day trader, uh, but even, even some of the day traders, it's like they, they tend to make all their money, I think, on their best days, which are, right. you know, they might be profitable every day. Well, not every day, but they might be profitable, I don't know, seven days out of 10, but their most profitable days account for 80% of their gains. So I would exactly. still argue it's still, it still kind of works out that way. Um, and that can be tough for people to, um, to adjust to. They want trading to be like, some type of annuity that pays in the exact same amount every single day. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, it just doesn't it normally just doesn't work that way. Um, so yeah, I would agree with it hundred percent. Perfect. And uh, kind of the last question I have before I'd love to go over some charts with you is when you're going through different ideas and those lists, um, how do you pair both fundamentals, earning sales, margins, that type of thing with the technical setup and how much of a weight do you kind of give to fundamentals uh, versus the technicals? Great question. And this is something that's been in evolution. So yeah. uh, like, I, I mean, the funny thing is I didn't even look at, for the first couple of years, I didn't even look at fundamentals. Um, I did not look at, I mean, bare, I didn't even have, um, <laughs> I was so small uh, and, and poor I didn't even, I shared a MarketSmith subscription uh, and I would just get the symbols sent uh, via Skype, which I would load into another computer. I didn't even yeah. have the fundamental information. So this idea that if you don't have everything, you can't make money, I think that's absurd. Um, I, I'm, I'm proof that that's not the case. Um, again, though, I wasn't playing anything for a, you know, a bigger move. I was just looking to, 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 Swing, to grab... Yeah to grab that quick alpha and turn it over. So uh, how do I look at it in terms of the fundamentals now? Uh, and this is something where, uh, you know, going to the master trader program, uh, you know, even multiple times, like, you know, especially listening to, you know, co-instructors like David Ryan, who it was funny, like you, you listen to him and somebody and Mark talk and where David, if it didn't have earnings and sales, he just doesn't touch it. I mean, right. just disciplined, <laughs> Uh, in that regard, where Mark would, he would say, look, I'll, I'll trade the technicals without the fundamentals. Ideally, I'd like to see the fundamentals too, where David was more of a stickler. Uh, so I kind of took a little bit of a hybrid between the guys to say, well, if they both line up, then why wouldn't I try and play this one for a bigger move, potentially, you know? And so that's kind of the way I look at it, a little bit like a slide rule where I will, I will never trade something just on fundamentals. If right. the chart's lousy, I don't care how good the fundamentals are. It's, it's like, I think of it in terms of the weather. You and me want to go out sailing and there's no wind. Uh, let's just wait for some, <laughs> let's wait for the wind, you know, to show up. Uh, I don't want to head into a headwind. And, and anybody who goes, well, yeah, but if you wait for the technicals, you might miss the first 20, 30% of the move. Fine. I'm fine with that. I, you know, I, I'll miss the first 100% of the move. Because if it's truly going to have a big move, I'd like to catch uh, a chunk in the middle. Where, right. where I think there's less risk. So that, and you do, do you run the risk of it never setting up technically? Sure. Well, 
that's the sacrifice you make for trying to wait for a good lower risk entry point. Uh, you know, and if you want to, if you want to try and catch everything that's ever going in any one direction, that's a fool's errand anyway. So, um, I'll, I'll always wait for some kind of technical confirmation. And the best ideas though, for me are really when you see both line up nicely. So let's say though, that there's something that is, uh, that's in, it's in a good uptrend, but it doesn't have a really tight entry point. Uh, something that I'm, I'm looking still, but I, but I, maybe I've, the fundamentals are great and it's in a, a classic growth area that, that I, I want to get involved in. I, I'll potentially trade it on a technical setup that maybe isn't quite as tight as I'd like to see. So I'll give it a little, it will still fit within, yeah. you know, the overall technical picture I'm looking for. I just might not be quite as precise. Um, and I might take a little bit of a smaller position. Right. But I'm never going to sort of break discipline just again, because I like the technicals, but the best situations then are ones where everything kind of lines up right. where it has either earnings and sales or both. And it's in a, it's in one of these sort of classic growth areas where you see some of the bigger winners come from. For sure. I 100% agree. I think um, last year, it might not have been my best winner, but a lot of people made a lot of money in Tesla. And now it's kind of one of those instances where it got it had a lot of super tight entries, where it just was a classic VCP type entry, but also it had the earnings, the sales, the story, the EV theme. Um, and that's actually something I wanted to ask you. Do you, do you favor a top-down approach? Actually, I read Momentum Masters and you talk about this, but I'll ask you anyway. Um, do you favor a top-down approach where you're looking for the group that's strong and then look for stocks within that? Or do you start with the stocks and then kind of let that point you towards the area to focus on? Yeah, it's always the stocks. I mean, this yeah. is this is really where I, I my default position is that the market knows more than I do. Market's smarter than me. So why not just let it guide me to where the money is going? Um, and that also means that there might be times where, again, to my point earlier, there's just not much to do because if the market's guiding me to, if the, if the strength is moving me into areas that are defensive, then I just, you know, I don't do as much or cyclicals. Yeah. I don't favor as much. I really, because I, I haven't, I don't have as good a record trading those. Right. Um, I'm, you know, the old, you gotta, you gotta dance with the girl you bring to the dance. And you know, that's, that's kind of the, those growth areas, at least, uh, for me. So no, it's always stocks. And then you sort of see the theme. And the one thing though, I will say is if there've been times where I've had some decent trades, even in areas that aren't growth, it's because I've seen lots of stocks in that area. Right. So last, probably the, the, the last really good example, like there's been two periods over the last 10 where I've had pretty good trades in, in gold and precious metals. Well, it was because there were tons of gold stocks setting up. Right. Uh, and that we saw that last year, right after COVID, it was like, right. you know, May, June, tons of gold stocks setting up. Well, so I took some positions. Um, you know, I'm not going to one stock that might not interest me. But when I see I'm going through screens and it's just like, wow, you know, you gold name after gold name after gold name. And that is going to override my general dis dislike or historical poor performance, say, in that group. If the market is yelling at me that, hey, money is moving to gold, uh, I'm still going to treat it a little bit more like a trade, say, than I would something, you know, like, like, like technology that, or to your point about Tesla, 
um, you know, I would treat that more um, like a trade where I want to try, try and play a portion of it, you know, for, for a bit more, right. but it's always stocks first. Perfect. Um, well, Mark, I'd love to just uh, go through them, go through some charts with you and, and uh, see how you analyze bases and, and uh, also set that those stop losses. So uh, yeah, feel free to share your screen and I'd, I'd love sure. to talk about that. Uh, so we can start with, I'll start with uh, some, positions i have are you seeing this okay richard yeah trading views up all right we'll start with a position or two i currently hold. i don't have a lot on right now because you know the last few days the market hasn't really been acting Great, yeah. so well um so this is this is revolve um i have a position in this currently but i can show so looking at a weekly i'll uh i'll go to a weekly first you can kind of see here, I'm sorry, this isn't my normal. This stock had a has had a really big run. Um, and then, you know, going all the way over here, this is sort of your primary base. You know, really yeah. primary base here. It kind of it kind of came out in the low 20s last year, and then just had a long, you know, pretty nice run, and then put in, you know, this multi-month base. Uh, and if you if you look, the, the accumulation was pretty good. And so on the daily, this you know I'll look at the weekly, but I trade off the daily. This is this is that this is that day, uh, base on a daily. Um, you know you had this break in here, uh, but it was met with some accumulation right here. Uh, a little bit erratic in this base, but then it started to kind of tighten up. And I it mm -hmm. first kind of came on my radar over here. And so I I was kind of looking at this level as this is ultimately where the the supply needs to there's some supply at this level you know it's right. broken here use the you know mark's uh, term vcp volatility contraction we had a contraction here a contraction here then you had another one right here um you i would have preferred it to to line up into this level but it didn't so i took us i took a partial position on this day coming out mm -hmm. um and then it ran right up to these highs and poked its head out here. I bought a little bit more, almost got stopped out on the ad. So like when I would, if I'm gonna pyramid up a position, I'm <laughs> always gonna be adding at the same price or higher, but only when, when I think the price action is improving. Right. So this was acting well, uh, I, I bumped the position and then, you know, then it, it, it put in a, a reversal, closed pretty good here though, and then right back into new high ground. And this is some, sort of something where, Let's say you get a stock, it breaks out and pulls back into the range. If I'm being really aggressive, I might just trim it. And in this case, if I had if say I, I doubled up my position uh, to a large size, I'd probably reduce that add-on uh, at that point. I didn't, I wasn't quite that aggressive. Um, plus this one, it was a little wider, uh, meaning like this range here to here was about seven, eight percent where that would be normal. I don't want that knocking me out. Right. Uh, and then, but the best situation should come back quickly. Uh, it did back in a new high ground. I sold a portion of this, uh, last week at around uh, 20%, which is, you know, usually about four times my normal gain took about half the position off. Now I'm sitting, move my stop up. Um, and I'm sort of, I'm at, I'm at break even, but 
If we come down here uh, much more, I'm going to look to move it up even more or potentially use that, the 50 day trail. I like the space. I like the fundamentals. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is sort of in that retail consumer retail group, which is a group I like to trade. Um, from what I understand to the, their online stores are very popular. Uh, you know, sort of a lot of, uh, a lot of positives uh, in terms of the sentiment there uh, and, and the earnings and sales are pretty good. So <clears throat> that's one. Another one. Um, I Could I ask you some questions? Absolutely. Ask sure. Um, so I think uh, you might've misspoke just a little bit. You said 20% uh, is kind of four times your average gain. Is that your average loss that you were referring to around a 5% average loss and then a 20%? Yeah, I'm thinking, sorry. Yeah. Four. Yeah. So if I, if I'm selling something that, yeah, in the case of uh, yeah, an average loss, it's a little less than that actually. Yeah. Um, but you know, if I'm around twenty percent, that's a four or five five times my average loss. Sorry, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm generally, you know, seven eight percent. Uh, I, I try not to let anything run more than say ten. Um, but seven eight percent is usually kind of that's a that's a pretty hard line in the sand. Uh, and ideally, I'm not even going to carry the whole position to that point. Uh, I might carry part of the position. Um, but if if I get the timing wrong, I'm starting to scale back sometimes two, three, four percent. Right, right. And I want to um, hear a little bit more details about your your stop loss levels initially when you first buy the position. And also as the stock makes progress, at what point do you move that up to break even? Uh, what point are you really deciding to sell a partial and then and then maybe move that that stop even more under the the swing low of the natural reaction? Uh, so I, I'd love to hear a little bit sure. more about that. Well, that'll lead me into the next example, but I can sure. I can share it with this one as well. So and this is where, like I said here, I, I I bought a small position as the stock is coming through, you know, sort of this this pivot point here around seventy dollars. Mm -hmm. Now I was expecting the stock to potentially run into some overhead because you had this level uh, mm -hmm. as I drew before, which we hadn't got to. And then this other sort of reversal up here around 75. Now I don't, again, we don't know what's going to happen. So I'd much rather have a small position on uh, in case, because sometimes stocks just go blasting right through, you know, previous supply levels or, you know, resistance levels. Uh, in this case, it didn't. It came up kind of like I thought. Now, my initial stop is going to be right down in here. So, mm -hmm. again, it's a little wider. I'm buying at 70, stopping out at 64. You know, that's 7 8%. Now, if it if it acts really poorly and I get a bad close, I might just cut a portion. Um, in this case, stock comes up and it didn't really tighten up a lot, but it lined up, you know, sort of with this other level. Yeah. And so I said to myself, all right, I'll bump the position if it can come out and then use sort of these two lows as my stop for the bump. Um, I wasn't going to cut the whole position there. So I bumped the position. Uh, I have a stop level here for that and holding the original stop. Um, you know, my average price is, you know, now between probably 72, 72, 50. Uh, and my average stop is going to be around 67.50, sort of similar, but I'm I'm adding as the position is working. Uh, where if you do that consistently, eventually you're gonna you're gonna put yourself in in a really good situation. Um, so I, but I would not. Uh, you could be more aggressive 
and and in some cases I would, I would move my entire stop right up here to say, mm -hmm. and this is um, the only reason I didn't is this stock um, wasn't super tight. Uh, and in general, the market has been a little bit, um, a little bit wider and looser in some of these growth areas. So you got to make a decision, but certainly normally it is a fine tactic in my view. So let's say you, you bought coming through here at 70 and then, uh, and you took this much risk. Well, now I can double the position up here and move my original shares to this level is almost break even. So I'm effectively doubling my position while taking the same risk. Follow right. me there. Yeah. This is a key point. Um, this is really how I pyramid my entire portfolio at times. Um, and then once to your question, when do I move, when do I move stops up? Once this thing follows through, then I'm definitely, then I'm definitely moving my stop, uh, up, uh, to, to this level. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, yeah. and then once I'm at a, once I'm at a multiple of my risk, so say I'm at 10% or something like that, if my average loss is five, um, I'm then thinking of protecting break even usually. We're mm -hmm. certainly not going to take a full loss. Mm -hmm. um, and once I start taking profits, so uh, I'm, I'm, I think I sold, I sold uh, on this day here. I'm, I'm thinking I'm moving the stop to break even or better at that point um, and sort of protecting, you know, the entire trade to say, I'm not letting this dig back into my pocket. Uh, and in this case, I would also switch over to the 50 day as well yeah. to say, look, this is now at, at about my average purchase price. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to do break even 50 day break even or better. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that's how I'm, that's how I'm handling this one in particular. And, you know, we're going into a market pullback here, at least, yeah. you know, as far as the last few days. And this is how there are, there have been plenty of times where, I, I will sell a portion of a position, the market, you know, it, if it tends to coincide with the market pullback, but it's a, it's a really strong name, it never comes back. Um, so the ones that act the best, I try and give some room, but it's only because they're working and I'm already, I have already de-risked this trade, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I also wanted to ask you about how you use kind of multiple timeframes to make sure the trends with you. We went from the weekly chart to the daily here. Um, and I also wanted to ask you whether on the day of execution, you're using something like an hourly, a 65 minute, even, even lower than a daily chart to execute. Yeah. So when I screen, I'm always looking at weekly and daily and that weekly I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at the longer term trend and these have been a longer term uptrend. And and then volume. I want. I'd like to see ideally a larger uh, inst that institutional volume, you know, behind the stock. Um, you know, as far as the intraday, I don't. Uh, I don't trade on it. I have it up uh, here and there, but it's not something like I don't trade on the intraday. Yeah. I don't even look at a sixty minute. Um, I'll look at um, like sometimes if a stock gaps and then pulls back to a breakout where I wanted to buy it, I'll. I'll look at the intraday as it turns up and then occasionally buy it. But again, I don't trade off it. Um, as far as, uh, you know, moving to another example, mm -hmm. like, so here's an example of, this is actually kind of a, 
a proxy for like the overall this is this is uranium i i rarely trade the etfs but this has been in a long-term sort of uptrend if you look at this on a weekly or a daily and then it had just this explosive this is a good example of a trade id risk that didn't work as well um it has this really sharp run you know and puts in this cup and handle right here uh and when when this caught support right here and then kind of went tight for a day or two my antenna went up to say mm -hmm. okay i am i'm i am looking to get involved uh big um in the direction i happen to know a, a decent amount about the fundamentals in this area as well so i thought okay we're gonna have some fundamental support here or or at least potential buyers so i was i was basically setting you know an alarm right here and a stop right here so this is like you know two three bucks on a 90 dollars issue pretty tight and i went in fairly large uh you know right as it was coming out and here is where i'm looking to finance this was a trade either way but i sold a portion you know at so if, if i'm only taking a three dollar stop once i'm at six seven dollars i'm at a multiple of my risk mm -hmm. peel off half the trade move the stop up to break even and try and play it for a bigger move didn't work out in terms of the bigger move but uh so then as it pulled back in i got stopped at even but this is exactly how I, I like to go overweight at times when I feel like the timing is really tight where most people, you know, even if they bought this right here would probably give it this low. Um, and I would have done that if I was taking a smaller position um, or so the way I would handle it sometimes uh, is I let's say let's say my normal position is is 20 percent. Uh, if I'm going to go overweight which would be 30 or, or twice, maybe double what your normal position would be. I'm going to be really tight on a portion of that, mm -hmm. so that I am not. And this is where trading size timing is everything because you, everyone thinks, well, you just put on more size. I guess you make more money. It's like, well, yeah, but then you're going to, you're also going to make, you're going to lose more money too. Right. So it's, I, I want to be big when I think I really have nailed the timing. And I, again, if the market didn't do what I thought it was going to do, I was out. In fact, I, I took so big of a position on this day, I used the low of the day as it followed through. Yeah. So now we're talking, you know, 91 down to 90, you know, down to 90. I was taking a $1 stop on a portion of the position and then this low on a portion of the position and then this low. And so two thirds of it, you know, if it goes up four or $5, I'm in a multiple on that piece. Now that finances the whole trade. Right. And that's how, um, I mean, I will, I will take this trade a thousand times out of a thousand. The fact that it came back, oh, why didn't you sell it all at a hundred? Well, <laughs> cause I thought there was a chance it's going to 110 or 120. Right. Uh, I wanted, I wanted to be there paid for my normal, you know, full size position with an overweight, um, to allow me to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. I think that's a big key for everybody watching this. Uh, listen to how Mark's kind of talking about financing the risk, taking big positions, managing his risk, uh, so that often he has a large position size, but his normal risk that he's allowing himself to, to take is pretty normal, honestly. So it's, it's, it's increasing the position size, but not increasing the overall risk exposure, I guess is how I would describe it. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, the last, or, you know, I, I mean, you want to go over a few more examples? I can go over sort of an example from last year where sort of the stars all aligned in terms of fundamentals and technicals. Yeah, uh, let's do it. This is a and, lower uh, 
And uh, before we go into this one too, too in depth, Mark, I'd love to ask you, uh, this is a little bit of the art in the chart, but um, I'd love to hear how you would explain how you identify those pivotal points where you want to take up the position, the pivot points. Um, so with the uranium example, you're using that, that inside day high, um, but on another one, you might want a more, more, def- more well-defined pivot point, I guess. is Sure. Well, yeah, we can go over that real quick here too. And so the uranium example is a little bit of a, it's a little bit of art and science. So, right. you know, in our, in our work I'm running, and this is what I'm seeing in real time. So remember we're, I'm doing this in real time. Yeah. Um, the, um, the high relative strength screens were showing a number of uranium stocks. The problem was for me, a lot of them were low priced, you know, three bucks, five bucks, 10 bucks. Um, so, uh, and Cameco ticker CCJ was kind of the only individual stock. And it was also in the high relative strength. It's been on and off all year. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, I just happened to see this ETF, this, cause I don't normally screen for ETFs. Um, sort of coincidentally setting up as some of the smaller names were setting up. So for liquidity reasons, I liked this. And to my point earlier about like when I see a theme within the screens yeah. that sometimes, you know, leads me to the idea taken together with fundamentals. Well, you know, here we go. You got a, you got a, you've got an ETF, which is pretty liquid that almost doubles yeah. and pulls back about 20, 25 ish percent, right? This is a classic cup and handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look, yeah, these volume bars, they look a little scary in terms of selling. They close mid-range. But then if you yeah. look at the right side, you had strong volume coming right back up. And then all this pullback, the volume was below average. Right. And so, yeah, to your point, we caught support right here and then went inside for two days. Um, you know, Here's your drift back, your little handle, and not no real scary institutional selling. So to me, it's just one of these, okay, if it, it should, it should turn up here, Um, you know, to thinking about it in terms of knowing what you need to see. um, And this is just a, it's a, some of it's a function of repetition, but it's like, I I saw this and I was like, all right, it should be game on from here. um, If, if this is truly under accumulation, well, then you look at the first day, you know, and you get that volume coming right out, which moves, moves it right back up. Um, And this is actually another, I love trades like this too, where sometimes you can find this pivot point and position yourself where you can take profits before a stock hits new highs where you're still at a multiple. So if I was really tight here, I'm at a two to one before it even breaks out. Right. I love that. Uh, Then I can peel a piece off. And this is actually what I did. I was hoping it might even tighten up more right in here. It didn't. It just kind of, it drifted for two days and then came out. If it had drifted and tightened even again, then I would have, I would have loaded right back up. Um, And that sort of leads me to my next, my next idea is, so this is, this is one where everything lined up for me in terms of technicals, and fundamentals. Uh, this is Cresco Labs, which is like a U.S. multi-state pot uh, stock from last year, where we had. I happen to know a decent amount about the space, and these guys were in Illinois, which is I live in Illinois, um, and you know I just they had they owned all the licenses, so I read mm-hmm. 
I read some, you know, some work on them uh, and some people who basically said, hey, the way Illinois did legalization is not like a lot of the other states. And they only granted so many licenses. So those who own the licenses have all the pricing power. Uh, and that was sort of really, you know, it was like, okay, earnings power, you know, er yeah. earnings and mar margins and sales are going to go up uh, big time on these guys. Well, they were in this long-term downtrend. And so I was just kind of, I'm just looking for a low risk entry point. Where can I, where can I look to get involved? Uh, and actually this was, this was pretty creative, sort of the first low risk spot. It was, you know, the 50 had turned up, uh, it had come off. I, I nibbled a little bit here, um, and then just kind of waited, but this then came down. And I mean, I basically traded around this position all last year and held the core of the position. So as it ran up, it came back, set up a, you know, what Mark Minervini would call a low, low cheat. cheat. Yeah. I bought stock. I bought some right here. Uh, I didn't sell any into this move. And this was sort of like, this was putting it all together. So you had a cup handle. Uh, I bought some coming out of this handle and added even more. I went overweight coming out of here. And if you looked, this stock coming out had, you know, this chart, you don't see it quite as well. But it had, you know, it moved up. It was like 11 to 15 days on an increase of volume. Everything to say, okay, I'm holding a portion of this for a bigger move. I did take some off in here because I was overweight. It tightened up. I bought some back, sold it in, into this move. Uh, and then when it went parabolic, we sold, I sold it down. Now it's, now it has the biggest extension from the 50 in the entire move. And the stock has almost tripled from when I was first buying it. Now I'm using a 50-day trail on that remaining piece. Uh, close below the 50 over here, and we're out. Um, sort of, oh, what I was going to say, though, around this time in terms of the cup and handle, um, <clears throat> these guys had a store that opened up uh, near one of the big shopping malls near where I live. Um, full disclosure, I've never touched the stuff. I don't have any interest in, uh, you know, I'm a libertarian. It's like, if you, you want to go do that, that's fine. Um, but I'm, you know, not interested in uh, getting high or anything like that myself, but I, I was just sort of curious, you know, what, what kind of foot traffic or, you know, is, is this something that really is taking off? And it was, it was right in here. Yeah. <clears throat> Cold night in Chicago. I'm out to dinner with my wife and I go, you know, I want to go at least see where the store is. That's on the outside of the mall and, and just go pop my head in there, you know, uh, and the line was so long, it was out the door into the freezing cold. And my wife was like, we're not getting in that line. <laughs> and I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was, and it was like, it was like eight o'clock on a Friday night or something. I mean, just out, the, you know, just like you would thought people waiting for concert tickets or something. Yeah. Um, and so large demand is basically what I'm saying. The thesis it was what, what was what I was seeing in the chart was being borne out in terms of earnings and sales in real time, telling me that, okay, everything is kind of lining up here. Doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I'm going to be even more aggressive. And so, you know, that just it adds conviction. I would never trade on that alone just because I go to the mall and there's people, you know, you know, out, you know out the door in a store doesn't, but if I see that stock setting up and it's in a group, I understand, or it's a retail fad or however you want to think about it, those are powerful, powerful situations. So 
yeah, needless to say, it worked out well. But I would encourage people that sometimes you have to go through enough reps to know what it is that you want to see. And then when you see it, it just, you get, Clicks. there's just that intuitive sense of, I've seen this before, um, you know, and it gives you the courage to either take on a little more size or in my case, to, to stick with something. Look, if you've got a big position, you're going to have to hold through, through some pullbacks. But, you know, again, from this breakout here and then this cup and handle, um, you, ha you didn't have any, you know, it didn't, it didn't touch, it didn't really take out the 50 to you almost had a double. Right. So, um, yeah, that's how, that's how I played that one. Uh, you know, we can, we can go over, you know, one other example if you want, um, or, you know, whatever, whatever you think is best. Uh, I, th I think we've covered a lot, Mark, but I just want to say that that story reminds me a lot of, I don't know if O'Neill went out and counted the cars in the parking lot and price company, or he sent somebody else out to do the research for him. But yeah, that, that just reminded me of that story where you're seeing, you're seeing the theme play out in real life and the, the technicals, everything's coming together. So I think that's, yeah, a, one, that's an awesome and, example. And one of the, and one of the people who I learned this from was David Ryan, you know, yeah, I was at the, yeah, there you go. I was at the master trader program one year. And uh, David, I can't remember, it was either before or after the seminar, had gone to Ollie's Bargain Outlet because yep. they had one in Myrtle Beach. And uh, he, I think it was like he, myself, Mark, like a bunch of people had all bought it around the same. It had this, you know, people can look it up. It had, it had a nice cup and handle sort of primary base setup. And David stuck with it. You know, it, it just... It continue to create another base and break out and go higher and create another base. It's, it's a great one to study. And I think I traded it one or two times along the way. Well, I think David bought it and added every time it, it kind of broke higher. And I remember, you know, just sort of asking him about it and he goes, well, every now and again, if, if there's something with good earnings and sales and it's a newer company and they got a store, I'll, I'll try and check it out. Well, I'm assuming he learned that from O'Neill and you know, this isn't anything new. Um, it's just, you know, learning, you know, sort of, <laughs> sort of confirming again what the, the these charts are you know for lack of a better word sometimes just telling a story yeah. well you go to the store and, and there's nobody there uh I, ever you know and you talk to somebody at the store and they go the place is a ghost town my guess is the chart's not gonna look like this <laughs> it's just you know these these charts are discounting uh future earnings and sales potentially good ones in the case of you know the stories we're talking about perfect yeah um i think that's a great place to to end the the charting portion of this and and mark um i want to thank you for going through that. that that was really awesome and i always like to end it off with kind of one last question um what general advice would you have for new traders just one year or a few years into this that are struggling a little bit uh what kind of advice and inspiration would you give them uh, to kind of push themselves to to do the work and try to improve um, as a trader and become basically get on that pro path to profitability. Sure, great question. Uh, well, the first thing is you know don't be discouraged when you make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, I've made plenty. Uh, anybody who who tries their hand at this uh, game is going to make mistakes. Um, you want to learn to correct them quickly. Uh, and then the other thing, you know, I, is, I think most people, uh, overestimate what they can do in the short run, underestimate what they can do in the long run. I know lots of people, uh, you know, make this quote. I, I know Tony Robbins makes it. I've heard Mark Minervini make it and others. Um, uh, but you, 
the idea that, okay, I'm, I'm going to make i I'm going to take, you know, a small amount of money and, and turn it into, you know, a huge fortune in a year is, is probably not realistic. Um, at least with good principles. Um, but, uh, you know, that ability to, uh, to stick with it, to persevere and to learn and grow. Look, there's no shortcut to experience. Uh, some of the, you know, some of the lessons I've learned and, and even the things I've read, the seminars we talked about and those types of things, hugely important. Uh, but you have got to go through that process of learning those things, uh, get in the ring, uh, if you will, uh, and the other thing though, there's, I think as people think, uh, being small, the, the other thing I would, I would add being small is an advantage, right? Um, yes, you may not have much, but you can get in and out so fast. You've got no liquidity uh, restrictions. You can run up small accounts easier than you can big ones, but that doesn't mean you have to take more risk. People think, well, you know, once I get to, a, you know, a half million dollar account, million dollar account, then I'll stop taking so much risk, or, you know, or stop being irresponsible. I think that's crazy. You know what? You need to manage a small amount of money the same way you manage a large amount of money, i.e. with respect for risk, thinking um, about the downside first uh, and and building it up responsibly. Because if you get rewarded for bad habits early on, they're just going to get reinforced. And then if the market um, really does, uh, you know, deal you a big blow, it's going to be at a much higher level uh, and potentially be more financially and emotionally destabilizing than, than you're going to be able to handle. So yeah, don't be afraid of small beginnings. Uh, and don't, uh, you know, don't underestimate what you can do if you stick with it. Perfect. Well said. And, uh, Mark, I know you're, you're not super into social media. Um, but, are there, are there any places that you would point people to if they, if they want additional resources and learn a little bit more about your style and how you trade? Sure. Yeah. Well, we, you know, I, I don't do a lot of, uh, uh, I don't have a personal Twitter uh, because of some uh, constraints regarding the CTA and things we manage. Uh, you, yeah. I, I, we tweet a little bit at, at RTM advisors. Um, but uh, you know, I do do uh some, some education as well. Um, you know, helping Mark Minervini out at Minervini private access. Obviously if you're, if you want to learn how to swing trade, uh, equities from the long side, I think he's one of the best follows. Um, and, and his, uh, you know, sort of education and, and materials are, uh, you know, had a big impact on me. So yeah, you can take a look there. You can also visit our website if anybody's looking for, uh, you know, you know, what we're doing there. It's rtmca.com. Perfect. Uh, Mark, I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time and, and talking with me. I really, really enjoyed this. Uh, it was a great discussion. Um, and I'm sure everybody watching did as well. If you did, go ahead and leave a like down below and subscribe if you want to see more great interviews like with Mark Ritchie uh, here. And uh, Mark, with that, thanks so much again. Um, and yeah, take care, everybody. Thanks, Richard.